Say hello, I'm John Kane, and I welcome you to Let's Talk Native. While this program may not provide a path to spiritual enlightenment, we do encourage and in some cases start conversations. We're shooting for a different kind of enlightenment here. We don't, we kind of break the rules here for Native Radio. We don't do prayers, we don't do Buffalo speeches, and we don't do spirituality shows. We take a tough look at history, oppression, and survival. We talk about culture, the arts, politics, and identity, and we may step on a few toes along the way. But our real goal here is to bring people together by breaking down what separates us. We will take on the false narratives and provide critical thinking to all that's heaped upon us. And we do it all right here from the Cattaraugus territory of the Seneca Nation out of our LTN studios. So let's talk native. I am the host of Let's Talk Native, and I am assisted by Jake Proud, who is uh, managing our audio and our video. Uh, So let's get into it. It's that time of the year again. And by that time, I mean... Not our election cycle, although the Seneca Nation is having an election, I guess, but it's, it's their election cycle. And what happens at this time of year is we have many people who perhaps struggle with their own identity. And uh, as a result of that, get, get sucked in to this get out the native vote thing. And look... I, I'm going to talk a little bit about the futility of the native vote. We never change a red state blue or a blue state red. We don't do that. Our numbers aren't enough in any place, not even in, uh, in, the, in the Dakotas or, or Oklahoma. I mean, there's no – I mean, I remember when they, there was a big push to get Heidi Heitkamp reelected, uh, I think it was North Dakota. And she did get reelected. Not this past time. She didn't get elected this past time. But, you know, she turned around and supported the, the Dakota Access Pipeline. She supported the Keystone XL Pipeline. So be careful what you wish for. And this is kind of my point. Look, we talk about identity. We talk about assimilation, indoctrination. And then we talk about decolonization. And I don't think everybody's grasping the full extent to which that these things are, are opposites. Assimilation is becoming American. It's becoming the enemy. And, and if you think that decolonization somehow means you can join the, uh, join the opposition with the hope that you're going to change them, no, that's not decolonization. That's assimilation. And our numbers are so small, we can't affect their, their, their electoral outcomes anyway. And we sure as hell don't have a, a, you know, the people to, to change this system that has just been degrading over, you know, over two centuries. It's, it's a ridiculous proposition that somehow we're going to clean up their mess, clean up their system by what? Running a congressman or a senator or a president of the United States? I guarantee when Native people get into that system, they become that system. They become that, that, uh, that, that power class. That's what they become. And in order to get in there, they're going to have to get voted in by white people. We don't, again, our numbers don't add up. So I'm really, really troubled by um, any attempt to do this big PSA, public service announcement campaign to get out the Native vote. And, and I'm going to explain why, and, I, and I've talked about this several times in the show, but, you know, look, it's that time of the year, so i got to talk about it. Look, there was a, a lot of brouhaha over um, uh, North Dakota 
making it difficult for Native people to vote. And look, it was easy for them to do that. And we don't look, we barely vote in in Native elections because even that system is imposed upon us. So we don't come out in big numbers. Americans don't come out in big numbers for their own election. I mean, most people don't vote. I mean, most people don't vote. So when when the burdens get, get shifted to us and they say, oh, no, it's really important. You guys are oppressed people. And the only way you're going to affect change is to is to join the system. No, no, that's not the way it works. In fact, joining the system starts to eradicate our identity, our distinction, who we are. I mean, I don't know how we, we make the argument that we're sovereign, that we're a distinct people, that we have all this tradition and all of this culture that we bring forward. If, we're, if we put that on, in a box in the back of the closet and then show up at a voting booth for a vote that is essentially meaningless. And here's the other reason it's meaningless. There's probably, if, if you were to try to get a sense for where Native people fit on the spectrum, the political spectrum, we're probably just as divided as, you know, as, as Americans are. We probably have as many people that would lean right as lean left. Uh, and look, some of the, the, the largest Native populations are in states that are clearly uh, red states. Oklahoma, the Dakotas, Montana. Uh, Idaho, you know, Minnesota is, you know, is one of those toss up states, I guess. And and we can debate where Arizona is. But again, our numbers aren't big. We, we don't exactly look. We we can't even get um, a mask to wear to prevent COVID-19. How the hell are we going to get uh, get ourselves to to voting booths? I mean, but here's the other thing that it does. And and this is something that I don't hear any other native people talk about. I'm the only person that ever brings this up that I'm aware of. And I hope, I hope I'm not. And I hope that more people, I, I hope more people came to this conclusion on their own. But even if they just heard it from me and they, and they carry it forward, this is part of the conversation that we need to have and we need to promote. But here's the problem. In order to register to vote, and look, it, it couldn't be more clear by looking at what happened, what, what's been taking place in North Dakota, you have to put your address down. On your registration form. So what you're saying is that your land, where you live, where you sleep at night, is part of the state. Now, maybe some of you have been so indoctrinated and so assimilated that you don't even see a problem with that. But look, we're not a big Native population uh, surrounded by New York like uh, some of the larger Native territories are out West and in the Southwest and that kind of thing. But we own our lands. The lands that we reside on are not held in trust for us by the federal government. And, you know, and that's just language. That's, that's their semantics that they play. So they can justify labeling something Indian country but not recognizing that we have um, autonomy or sovereignty over that land. But, but we do own the title to the land we're on. We're, this isn't our, the lands are not a New York State deed. They aren't a U.S. government deed. They, they are held in original title. So the last thing anybody here should do is fill out a form that says, oh, yeah, my land's part of New York State. Now, does it have the, the weight to, um, to change the land status? Look, maybe it doesn't today. But the whole policy of termination 
and I'll talk about the five policies of the United States and, and make mention of our video. But termination was about getting to a place where the federal government could feel like we were assimilated enough, our lands were, you know, had been eradicated enough, uh, language is gone, you know, different parts of our culture gone, that we were no longer those people. And they could terminate us. And I don't mean exterminate us. That's, that's a different policy. But by terminating, they could say, oh, we don't have to recognize you as distinct people anymore. I guarantee if we, if, we were, if we were leading the charge and getting out the vote on our territories, what kind of argument do we have to say that we're distinct? What kind of argument do we, do we have to say your government doesn't represent us if we, if we voted them in? Or even it doesn't matter if we voted them in. Because here's the thing. <clears throat> to all those people who are out there um, saying, oh, we got to get out the vote on November 3rd to, you know, to keep Trump from serving another four years. Look, I don't care who you voted for in 2016. You elected that guy because you participated in the process. You validated that. Even though the system is so screwed up that he could win with two million less votes than, than his opponent, you validate that system by participating in it. You join that system. You are an American. If you vote in, that, in those elections, you are asserting, you are declaring your citizenship. That is assimilation. That is indoctrination. That's pledge allegiance to the flag, you know, uh, oh, Jose, can you see the whole bit? That's, you're, you're in it. You're hup, hup, U.S. citizen all the way. And it doesn't matter if you're right or left. Obama was the, was the president. Biden, Joe Biden was the vice president when the Dakota Access Pipeline was conceived of, proposed, um, approved, and built. Not, not Trump. And I'm not trying, look, I think Trump is the worst, one of the worst human beings on the planet. And look, <laughs> I, I, I could care less if the, if the guy took a bullet yes, uh, tomorrow. I, I really, that, wouldn't, that doesn't, wouldn't bother me a bit. And you know what? This system is so screwed up right now that the United States is operating under. And it's been screwed up for, for many, many years. It just has degraded to the point that it could produce a Donald Trump as the president of the United States. And I think he's the worst. But my condemnation of Donald Trump is not an endorsement for Joe Biden. I think he's a... Look, here's what happens after November 3rd. A rich, senile, old white man become, uh, you know, wins, an, wins the election. That's who wins it. You know, plug, you know, create your own name tag for that. And you can put an R or D in front of it. It, doesn't, it isn't going to matter much to us. We've been screwed by Democrats just as much as we've been screwed by Republicans. Now, are Republicans more racist than Democrats? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think it's a hallmark of who they are. So I think that's true. And, and I absolutely condemn racism. But I also condemn the paternalism or maternalism that comes from, uh, from the Democrats and, and, the, and the racism. Look, the governor of the state of New York, he's, uh, he's pretty much made it clear how he feels about Native people. And, and again, it is lumping us all into a group as being untrustworthy, you know, uh, uh, greedy, selfish. Um, I mean, he, he's, he, he's labeled us all kinds of things. So... Uh, the, he clearly has some racial bias towards Native people. So, look, it doesn't matter which, which party wins. And that's why I say we should not, and I know we shouldn't be doing it here, but I, I'm saying if you live on Native territory, 
There's no way that you should be filling out a voter registration form saying that your land, where you live, that your native territory is a part of the, st- of the state that surrounds it. I, I think it's a huge mistake, and it's all downside with no upside. And I, when I say no upside, we aren't going to get anybody elected. The, the blue states are going to be blue, the red states are going to be red, and the swing states are where it's going to, you know, where the difference is made. And there's not a swing state that we have anywhere near a voting block, a significant voting block. And by, by voting block, I mean that we all vote the same. As I said earlier, we don't, we, or we wouldn't. And look, we do have people who've been voting, and we have people who run for office, and some get elected and some don't, and, you know, and, and people get all excited when, you know, when a Congress, especially in the last uh, uh, cycle when, when a, a couple of women got, got elected, and Native women got elected. And look, am, do I think it's a terrible thing? Would I rather see Native people in Congress than, uh, than white people? Absolutely. But I hate to lose our people to that. I'm, that's literally us losing our people to their, to their system. That's literally what it is. And if they were really there to, to be a benefit to us, then why aren't they having impact on our territories? Why are they running for state positions? Why are they running for federal positions? Well, it's their own ambition. I mean, th- that's the bottom line. So, and, and they have to pander to the white people who are going to elect them. And maybe they'll pander to the people of color as well. But that's what that system is all about. But this is assimilation. You know, and look, I've talked about it before. You can't talk about assimilation without talking about religion. I, we talked about that with, with uh, Janine Yazi last week. Religion is a part of that indoctrination and assimilation process. And it also has its political leanings. So it, it, it shapes not just somebody's quote-unquote spirituality, but it shapes their, their view on everything, uh, every one of the social justice issues or social issues that becomes politicized. Abortion, you know, gay marriage, um, <clears throat> uh, you know, police abuse, all that stuff. It gets, it, it gets shaped and, and folded in to, to some of the religion uh, conversations. So religion is, is a big part of this thing. And, and I got to tell you, I, I realize that Native people still enlist in the armed forces at a higher rate per capita, at a higher rate than any other uh, people w- within, you know, the continental United States. And, well, not even continental United States, because <laughs> Hawaiian Natives enlist at a pretty high rate, uh, high rate too. And the question that's got to be asked is, why? Why would we not just sleep with the enemy, but kill with the enemy? Why would we want to serve in their armed forces? Especially when we know that the main goal of the U.S. military is to is global domination. And who do you think they're dominating? Mostly other people of color. Some of the most the, the the worst aggression that the United States has ever put on display has been against marginalized people. I mean, including dropping two nuclear weapons on a small island country uh, in you know at, at the end of World War II. They weren't gonna drop that on Europe, folks. No, they weren't gonna drop that on white people. <laughs> I guarantee they weren't gonna drop that on white people. But you look at the history, you know, the Spanish-American War, Teddy Roosevelt going into the Philippines, going into Cuba, you know, going, you know, all these, all these places. Again, why? To, to oppress people of color. I mean, it's the, it's the history of the United States. We have always been treated like crap by the United States. And, you know, it, it was a really short time span between the last massacre 
you know, uh, the massacre of Wounded Knee in, uh, in 1892. And Native people somehow getting to the place where they thought enlisting in the U.S. military, or the Canadian military first in many cases, to join World War I. I mean, why? And, well, and, and I'll tell you one of the reasons why. Poverty. I mean, you know that your life must really suck if you think the best option is to go, uh, go put your life on the line to get killed in a ditch in France. Your life's got to be pretty, pretty shitty back home. And that's just the reality. So <clears throat> everybody wants to say, well, people, Native people enlist because of the warrior culture. Like somehow it's in our DNA that we, we just have a bloodlust and we have to kill people. So we don't care who we're going to kill uh, or who we're going to kill for. Just uh, give, me a, you know, give me a weapon and a uniform and I'll, and I'll do it for you, Masa. And I know people want to rave about their, you know, their military credentials and all that other stuff. But you know what? Fight for our people. And I don't even mean fight and kill for our people. <clears throat> Look, decolonization is not joining the enemy. Hoping to, uh, hoping to affect change. That's not what decolonization is. But decolonization <clears throat> isn't killing the enemy either. It's about stripping away their influences, stripping away their controls, getting rid of the burdens of oppression that they've placed upon. That's what decolonization is. It's not voting, you know, voting in their elections for, for some candidate that's going to blow a little bit of smoke up our ass. That's not what decolonization is. That's indoctrination. That's assimilation. That's buying into their BS. So when we get to this time of the year, you know, through the election cycles, every two or every four years, this drives me nuts. You know, just listening, just listening to um, native talk radio, people that get on, you know, NPR, you know, all the, the campaigns across Facebook and Twitter, and, you know, all of the iconic voices, the Suzanne Harjo's, the Oren Lyons, all these people going out there saying, oh, yeah, it's really important that we vote in this election. This might be the most important election to ever vote in. Look, I'll, I'll tell you one thing. New York State is going to go for, for Joe Biden. Why? Because that New York State always goes for the Democrat. And you know what? Oklahoma is going to go for Trump. Why? Because Oklahoma always goes for the Republican. <clears throat> that's, that, that stuff is mostly set in stone. And it doesn't matter if Native people vote at a, at a rate of 2% or 80%. It isn't going to affect the outcome of, of that election. Now, I will say this. Decolonization doesn't look the same from every perspective and 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 it may look different from depending on where you live if you don't live on native territory there may be some reasons to participate in that in that system but keep in mind if you do you're declaring you're a u.s citizen so whether you are declaring it permanently or whether you're just doing it uh, temporarily by saying um look this is where i live I want to vote in the, you know, who's in the city council. I want to vote for who the congressman is in this district. I want to vote for, you know, the state senator or, you know, or the, the U.S. senator, whatever. Look, the school board. If, if you're living off territory and you are concerned about the local govern, governance, you don't have, you're not being impacted by your native government from back home. In fact, 
there, by some estimates, according to the U.S. Census, another thing that I say we shouldn't participate in, <laughs> um, 70% of the native population of, in the United States you know, is, lives off territory. I don't believe that's true. I think the number, how many native people there are, are greatly inflated because anybody could fill out a census form and say, oh, I'm, um, I, I'm, yeah, I'm native. My grandmother was a Cherokee princess. Yeah, all that. So when they come up with these numbers, and I hear people say, well, yeah, there's, uh, you know, native people represent, uh, you know, 2 to 5% of the U.S. population. Bullshit. That's not true. We, la- we represent less than 1%. More, the, the more accurate numbers are like 7 tenths of 1%. That's what our population compared to the U.S. population, that's what we would represent if we were U.S. citizens. I know many of you are. Many of you claim so, and, and that's what you've altered your identity to. So, so I get that. But we are not a significant you know, population. So... But if you live on native territory, there's a higher standard. You have a government that you can participate in. Whether you vote in, in quote-unquote tribal elections or whether it's traditional, you have a government <clears throat> that, um, you know, that provides services where you live. But if you don't, if you live in a native off-territory, and you may, never, you may never want to go back to a native territory. <clears throat> you have made you have made perhaps made your riches in New York City or Los Angeles or Seattle or whatever else, and maybe you have no plans to ever go back. Maybe you you left your territory because of the poverty and and the lack of opportunities. And I get that. I understand that. Look, I go to New York, but I come back home. So, but I also know there's a whole lot of people who. Have no connection to their territory back home, and they they they've lost their family connection connection if they ever had them. There's probably a whole lot of people filling out that census information who have no. They probably don't even know what to call themselves if if they were to try to identify. We, we see it all the time in, in these mascot debates. <clears throat> we'll get all these people that'll show up. And say, well, I'm Native American. Uh, I think I'm Cherokee or Choctaw. Sorry, I didn't mean to pick on Cherokee or Choctaw. Or or they'll say something like. I'm Apache, or I'm uh, um, Sioux, or you know, or they'll they'll just throw out a name because it's the only names they know from watching westerns or something like that. But they don't they don't have any connection. They're not enrolled members. I know I hate that expression too, but they aren't a part of a community or even a you know um, a, a part of that community who is somehow not, just not living there anymore. There's no family connection. There's no cultural connection. There's no political connection. They aren't, they aren't going to, to participate in, in a government on a native territory. So look, are those people still, still native people? Look, if they claim that identity, they claim that identity. But I categorize, and I'm, and I'm not going to go into the whole pretendian thing. You know, let's pretend Indian. Yeah, I'm not going to get into that whole thing. There's a lot of people who do that you know, who want to claim this native identity because they either want to sell crap at a, at a powwow or, you know, pitch something on Facebook or Twitter or, you know, eBay, who knows. But I think there are people who become distanced or disenfranchised from, from their own people, sometimes through, through no fault of their own. But sometimes it's just a choice. Look, we have many native people 
who were ripped from the families, not just through residential schools, but through foster care and adoption programs. And it's been a struggle for, for a lot of people to make their way back home and to, and to know that identity. I mean, there's some, some rather you know, famous people who've gone through that process. But there's an awful lot of people who nobody ever heard of, who nobody knows, that, that go through this all the time. Look, if you are Native and you have family that live on a Native territory, if you, or if you live on one, look, you are miles ahead, look, miles ahead of those who, who can't reestablish those, uh, those connections. Look, and I get people all the time. I get all kinds of people come and say, hey, uh, my, uh, my great-grandmother was a, was, a, was a Mohawk. Can you tell me how I can trace that? No, I don't. I don't know, I don't know how to tell you to do that. And that's not my job. Um, I know who my family is. And, uh, and if I knew your family... Then I would tell you, but if you don't know who your family is, how can I tell? How can I help? But see, this is what we go through all the time. We we go through this, and so I realize that there, depending on where you live, how you live, and what your relationship is to to the native people you claim to be a part of, or or you are a part of, decolonization may look a lot different from where you sit, from literally where you sit. Like I said, I can't tell somebody who lives in New York City or Buffalo, you know, or Rochester or, you know, Minneapolis, St. Paul, not to vote. I'm not going to tell you not to vote. But what I will say is if you live on a native territory and you're listing your home address as part of the state, you're fitting right in with their plan. You are, I mean, Thomas Jefferson called that the final consolidation. That's literally what Thomas Jefferson called it. 1803. He called it the final consolidation. And you're helping. You're, you're helping because you are not, because you're probably influencing other people with this too. Almost nobody just votes and then doesn't try to tell everybody else. Do they wear their little sticker that say, I voted today and, and, and all of that stuff. But if, if you want to claim your distinction, and I'm going to talk in the second half of the show, I'm going to, tell, I'm going to talk about the upsides of not voting. I'm going to talk about the upsides of, of maintaining that distinction and what decolonization can mean. And I'm not just talking about surviving Armageddon, as I you know, kind of talked about in the last show. I'm, I'm talking about the tangible upside in maintaining the level of distinction that is required for us to, to survive another century. Hey, uh, we're at the bottom of the hour, so we'll, uh, we'll take a break and we'll come back and um, look... We're gonna, I want to hammer this a little bit more, and, but I do want to explain it. I want to explain that there is upside to not voting and doing something else that makes you more active in, uh, in, in our future. We'll talk about that when we come back. This is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Coming back, this is John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. Um, look, let me give a shout out to my sponsors. I want to thank Ross and Holly John and the RJE family of businesses, Eric White and ERW Enterprises, and the folks at Grand River Enterprises as well. Uh, look, I also want to thank all of you 
who step up from time to time and, you know, whether, you know, it's a PayPal uh, contribution, whether it's a check in the mail, there's been a few different ways that people have helped out in the, in the past. And, you know, I think about Cindy and Harry and, and Tony and Vijay and Steve and, and look, a few people, I didn't know, I didn't even know you could do this, but somebody on PayPal set up an account where they've got like, uh, you know, a few dollars coming in every month. They signed up for a, re- a repeated um, billing where they're sending, uh, that's a great idea. I think we, we've got almost 8,000, um, <laughs> I think we have over, it was 8,000 members of this, uh, of our group page. Um, geez, if, if all you guys sent $5 a month, that'd be great. No, <laughs> I don't expect that. But, uh, but no, uh, all of you who help us keep doing what we're doing. Look, we're doing this show <clears throat> and we're we're on the internet. Um, this show is actually being broadcast in in Washington D.C. on WPFW. We do a New York show on Thursday on WBAI. So we are in a constant state of trying to improve our equipment uh, inventory so we can uh, de- deliver a better product. So all of you that help, not just my regular sponsors who help us pay the bills, but those of you who contribute to allow us to make a better product. Uh, I, I greatly appreciate it. Um, hey, I do want to say if you have missed any part of this show, or if you just want to hear it again, um, uh, you can catch us as a podcast or a YouTube video. Uh, just search online. You can search for let's talk native with John Kane podcast. Uh, it, it'll have these shows, the let's talk native shows and the let's talk shows that I do, uh, in New York city as well. Um, this show, by the way, is show number 450. If you, uh, want to specifically catch a part of this show that you may have missed or want to catch it again, um, our YouTube channel is let's talk native TV. And we post the shows, uh, the video of the shows, uh, on YouTube, usually by the next evening. So, um, uh, so we, we get it right up there. So anyway, I just wanted to put that out there. Our website, where you can find all this information, all the links, is letstalknative.com. So, by all means, check it out. And, uh, hey, we even got a merch page you can go check out. We, we've got uh, some custom T-shirts that we've done and some things like that. So, uh, uh, so check it out. Um, all right. Hey, um, when, when, we, when we talk about assimilation, it's, I mean, it's, sometimes it's bizarre and it's sneaky. I mean, there are ways that we have been sucked in, you know, either sometimes through grant programs, they throw a little money and they say, look, but if you do this, you got to do this, this and this. I mean, I'll give you an example. Seneca Nation had a summer program, they, uh, they call it Vision 2020 or something like that. And in order for uh, summer youth to participate, if, they were, if, if you were a male over 18 years old, the only way the federal government's um, grant that was associated with this would um, uh, w- would be fulfilled was that native people, native young native boys, had to submit proof that they had uh, registered for the draft. So, if you don't think there's strings attached, you're just not paying attention. And look, I know the Seneca Nation; I, they either bailed on the grant or, or, or something along those lines. But uh, when it when it was pointed out, but but again. Within our governments, within our nation employees and every one of our territories, we have people who are making decisions every day that compromise who we are. And this is all part of that assimilation and indoctrination. So this is the stuff that I, I, you know, we, we've got to be real careful with. And, you know, so we talk about 
kind of a sneaky way of sucking you in. Look, there's even a guy who claims to be running for president who's uh, part Navajo who does this all this this whole you know you know uh, I don't know. <laughs> Uh, sermon, I guess, on the doctrine of Christian discovery, and then does it does it in such a way that he uses it as an argument for indoctrination. I mean, I don't know how. I mean, doctrine is right in the word indoctrination, but they, he literally makes the argument about how bad the doctrine of Christian discovery was, and somehow turns it in such a way to say that's why we should be included in we the people as part of the United States. I mean, it, it doesn't even make sense to me. I, I actually had him on the show trying to have a conversation with him. And, and every time I would press him, he'd always say, well, that's the conversation we need to have. I said, no, that's the conversation I'm trying to have. So there are, there are sneaky elements out there. There are people. There are, there are people who look a lot like us that have other competing agendas. And when I say competing agendas, I mean agendas that are, are not tied to our distinction. They are not tied to decolonization. They are not tied to sovereignty and, and the assertion that our lands are not part of the, of the United States or, or any individual state. No, there are people who have a completely different view of this thing, and many of them are Native people. So when I talked about uh, decolonization looks different depending on where you stand, it's a process decolonization is a process. It is a journey. It's not a destination. It's not a place. It's not a thing. You don't get there. You're not decolonized one day. Look, we're all inundated with influences from the outside. And we get trapped by it. We get trapped by it with our, our cell phone contracts. We get trapped by it by, you know, well, how do we deal with, the, with crime on our territory if we don't let the outside police deal with it? You know, look, we get, we get sucked in in all these different ways. I mean, even as we try to address problems on our territory, we sometimes don't feel competent in, in, in dealing with them ourselves. So we look to the outside. And what we do, we bring their systems in. We, we start registering our businesses the way they do out there. We start creating laws on our territory, rules and regulations that look just like the ones out there. We create po- tribal police. We create court systems that look just like theirs. And you know what? They suck just like theirs. But, but we get sucked in. And part of it is we, we get told, well, that's how you express your sovereignty, by having your own police force. Next thing you know, they're enforcing New York State law. You know, or, or North Dakota law or whatever else. Most native territories don't have a, a, a fully established penal code. And so they, they naturally adopt U.S. Or, or, or state laws. So we get sucked into this thing. I mean, people say, oh, yeah, there's the reason that we can regulate our tobacco the same way as, uh, as the ATF or the New York State Department of uh, Revenue and Finance is that, is that we're sovereign. Yeah, no, you're just being sucked into their system or to a system like theirs, something that they can manipulate us through. They, they'll use, use our own people to do it. So it's a sneaky thing. All right, so let me do as I promised. I want to talk about why, what are the upsides in, in our distinction? Well, for, for one thing, we hear a lot of talk about restorative justice. Now, this is a way of resolving conflicts and addressing um, you know, it damages or issues, you know, um, 
uh, injuries that were done by one person to another, accidental, intentional, whatever. Um, again, uh, not just mishaps, but you know, terrible judgment, huge mistakes that people have made. You know, perhaps um, character flaws that have been you know somebody's carried for a long time. So if we adopt our own ways of dealing with these issues, so we don't use the courts. We don't use our courts if we have them. We don't use their courts. We come up with a completely different way of administering justice to, to the extent that it needs to be administered, making sure that our people are treated fairly. And look, we already see Native people and, and, and Black people disproportionately imprisoned in, in the systems you know, on both the U.S. and the Canadian side. So why would we want to contribute to that, even if our people have, have made some terrible mistakes? I'm, and I'm not talking about forgiveness. I'm talking about what do you do if somebody kills somebody because of a dr- drunk driving accident? Do you lock them up? Or, or do you, in some way, make sure that person spends a, a, a part of their life trying to make up for it? I mean, there's no turning the, the hands of time back. But, I mean, and perhaps you know, a death is, is the extreme example. What if somebody's been injured? I mean, how do you not... I mean, wouldn't it make more sense to, t- to take somebody who is responsible for that injury and, and give them the opportunity to make right with that person? Even if there's tension and there's hostility, I mean... It just that's that's a better model than what's out there. See, out there it's all about punitive. You know, it's all about de- uh, you know punishing somebody. That's why cops carry all these in- implements of uh, you know of bodily harm, clubs, tasers. <clears throat> um, you know those not even the clubs, but those other smaller things that they whip people with. They even wear gloves that are loaded with uh, with shot in there. In the, so when they punch, that's how, why people get their eye sockets busted out. It's not because these guys are all pro boxers, but they carry guns. They, and they, they, they've got <clears throat> concussion grenades. They've got pepper spray. They've got all of these weapons. They've got a, an arsenal in the trunk of their car, everything from automatic weapons to, to riot assault uh, uh, shotguns, that kind of stuff. <clears throat> Is that the model we want in our territory? So if we create systems ourselves to deal with, you know, perhaps domestic problems, you know, um, child abuse problems, instead of saying, oh, no, we're, we're going to call the county in or we're going to call the state in. <clears throat> no, I mean, we, there's no, if we care, if we care, we will deal with these things ourselves. We will, we will find the right way. And look, we might make a few mistakes along the way. But you know what? Their systems are making mistakes every goddamn day. But if we take this on ourselves, we create systems that are ours, that, that bring elements of our culture forward. And, and we see the direct results of, the, uh, of these, these, these new systems of restorative justice. That's just one example. The other thing is, is basically our identity. As I said earlier, it is impossible to make the claim that we are a distinct, sovereign people if we're voting in their elections. I mean, we, we literally undermine any argument that we make. <clears throat> if we 
enlist in their armed services as the United States is, again, um, oppressing other people, whether it's in the Middle East, whether it's in uh, you know, Syria, where, wherever it is, Africa, South America. Uh, Trump was chomping at the bit to send a bunch of uh, U.S. troops into Venezuela. Uh, and this is, this is a, an ongoing issue all the time, sending military to the border. To, to oppress people who are, who have more of a right to to migrate on this land base than all the white people who showed up uh, you know from Europe but we we don't see it that way this is about I mean I'll, I'll use an expression deprogramming we have got to deprogram our minds because there is an upside to being native. Are we realizing all of that upside? No. Part of the reason we aren't is because we are caught up in their systems. We aren't looking at ways that we, uh, we improve the quality of li- our life with, uh, with the exception of trying to make more money. So even that is part of the, the system that we've assimilated to. We, we aren't looking at how we improve the quality of, of our lives with our children, with, our, with our, the elderly. I mean, look, we speak in all these romantic terms. We, oh, yeah, well, every time we lose an elder, we lose a whole treasure chest of information and culture. Yeah, but you know what? Before they died, they were alive. And if we ship them off to, to a home someplace, even if it's on our territory, and we don't maintain that contact, and I'm not saying that that's commonplace. I'm just saying these are examples of, of the things that we need to do. We need to become, remain fully engaged with our children and with our elders. And, and it's not because the elders have all the answers. But they have some answers. But you know who else has answers? Those children. Why? Because they're looking at our problems, the problems we all have, with a fresh set of eyes. Eyes that have not been necessarily contaminated yet by all the things that we've been contaminated by. The need for money. And look, we haven't even you know, broached the subject of, of our own schools. Whether it's homeschooling or whether... You know whether we uh, we build a school, and and why not let that school be something that is not what theirs is? You know, all the public schools—they look like prisons. They were they were literally designed that way, to be like prisons. Why would we want to we send, Why would we want to send our kids there? And again, we send our kids to those schools, and our kids are again the minority. They are in the minority in these schools. If we had our own schools, our kids would not be the minority. Our kids would be. They would be that population. So there is upside in carving out our distinction and asserting that distinction. There's, there's upside in, in, in teaching our kids the true history, in teaching our kids all of the, the attributes that carried us for thousands of years, including statesmanship and diplomacy and, and leadership. Look, we've, on many of these territories, we have multi-billion dollar enterprises run by white people. And if the standard is that we've got to send our kids off to go to Harvard Business School before they can run a casino, why? They don't, t- they don't have a, a course in, in casino management at Harvard. Well, maybe they do. But, but, but I guarantee it, it isn't taking into, into account the, uh, the sovereignty aspect. 
And of course, we give most of that away with, these, with the gaming compacts anyway. But why do we do that? Because our people don't have the confidence. Now, why would our people not have the confidence? Because we have let somebody else raise them. We've let, you know, we've let them be inundated by, by the, the product marketing that, that, you know, that is in every one of our homes. They're inundated with false narratives of history. And the, the, the stereotypes that not just the mascot issue, but the stereotypes of, of you know, rich, lazy casino operators, drunk Indians, junkyards. Look, we, we hear it all the time. <clears throat> but we get to change. We could control and, and, and create the accurate narrative, not the one that, that has been embellished by, uh, by people who want to look down on us. We can improve every aspect of our lives if we took it upon ourselves to do that. But one of the ways to do that is to be distinct. I mean, what are, we, what are we telling our kids if we're sending them off to a school where they're learning to pledge allegiance to the U.S. flag first thing, and all they're learning about is George Washington and how wonderful he was, and, and you know, going right through. I mean, even, even now that they're learning a little bit about Martin Luther King, they still aren't learning a damn thing about any Native people. Or, you know, how the civil rights battle was different than the sovereignty battle. That's not ever... And if we're not teaching them as parents or grandparents, then shame on us, I guess. But there is an upside to starting to prepare our young, not just for the survival skills I've talked about in, 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 in our previous show, but the practical skills, communication skills, the, the, you know, the, the skills that, that Ed Schindler talks about all, all the time, compassion, empathy, how to understand, you know, where emotions come from. These are all important things that, that, that need to be discussed and talked about. But there also has to be, I mean, look, on our territories, we have tremendous disparity from the haves and the have-nots. We've had people who have made millions of dollars selling cigarettes and gas. And we have people who've raised generations of children um, well below the poverty line. And we don't find a way to even that out. And it's not because there isn't a willingness to do it. We just don't take it upon ourselves to do it. And I'm, look, I'm, I'm not condemning business owners. And, and nor am I, you know, begrudging somebody, you know, uh, you know families who who have not been able to lift themselves out of poverty. I'm, I'm not do, doing either one of those things because there are conditions that have been, you know, imposed upon us. You, you know, even again, even the tobacco issues. You know, a lot of times it's about, it, it, when people create an opportunity and they, and, they, and they bust open the doors or break the, the glass ceilings, as they say, if you lock that door behind you or if you seal that ceiling back up so nobody else can follow you, then you didn't do anything for your people. You just did something for yourselves. So these are the kinds of things that, that we have to look at. And there is upside. The upside is we can lift our communities and we can be the model for the non-Native communities because they, look, they're struggling too. I mean, they're struggling in big ways. I mean, do you think anybody's real happy, really happy? Look, I know there's people running around with their Trump flags and their maggot hats and all that other stuff, but they know that he's a, this guy's a moron. They they may be hanging on one thing, like, oh yeah, he's he's you know you know skewed the the Supreme Court 
uh, for a few things that I feel strongly about. Or, you know, he's expressing on, in his racist rants things that I don't dare say myself, so I'm, I'm so proud of him. You know, but they know he's a moron. And you see it, with, you, you see it right across the board, not just the President of the United States. You see it in the Senate, the House. You see it in the local politicians. Look, we had a state senator rolling around the floor of the, of the Seneca Niagara Casino. You know, you know, so drunk you can barely stand anyway. He and he and his wife. These people, these people have some serious, you know, issues, and and yet even even as a drunk New York State senator, this guy was pompous and said, "Do you know who I am? You don't know who you're effing with." To native people, in a native casino, you know, at, at a native event. And this white guy is just spewing off about, you know, spewing, spewing his entitlement out. And, and as is his wife. I mean, and this is, and these are the, we want to follow that? We want to emulate that? Look, we have generated billions of dollars on our territories and spent it all. We didn't invest in the future. We have the opportunity. Look, hey, the, the uh, Seneca Nation gave the state a billion and a half dollars. A billion and a half dollars. And they're, they're poised to write another check for another half billion, and they will pay another half billion through, through 2023. They're gonna, they will have given the, the, the state over $2 billion. Do you realize how much money that is to us? Not much to them. Because they'll, they'll piss through that money real fast. But we could create a legacy with that, that with by taking that money and and not investing it in stocks and bonds but investing it in our in the, in our own people man we, we have opportunities we have tremendous opportunities but we have everybody leading us in a different direction and you know we're going to spend you know some of these native uh, territories will spend significant amounts of money trying to get out the native vote when, when Barack Obama, during his eight years <coughs> as president, invited Native leaders to come to the White House, by some estimates, there, was over, there were literally millions of dollars spent. So a handful of Native leaders from all these Native territories could go to the White House and get their picture taken in front of the White House Christmas tree. Maybe, you know, and get five or ten minutes with, with the President of the United States. What the frig is that? You want to talk about, you know, uh, Trump pepper spraying a bunch of uh, um, protesters so he could do a photo op in front of a church? Well, I'll tell you. When I think about the resources that are spent for so-called native leaders to go get their picture taken in the White House, uh, we'd have been better off getting pepper sprayed by them. I mean, this is, this is how much we have to change our mindset. This is the deprogramming that we need to do. We have to understand... No one who is talking about voting, enlisting, or praying in a church should have the word decolonization ever roll off of their tongue because it, 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 it should burn like the devil. <laughs> I mean, it is, it, it, those things are, op, are, are, are exact. They're, they're not just opposites. It is, they are at, at such extreme odds with each other that it, it, it makes it all meaningless. It makes us meaningless. So we do need to talk about decolonizing. And when I talk about decolonizing, 
I am talking about starting with our minds. Look, we aren't on reservations. We are, we, we are dug in on the last parts of, uh, of, of our homeland that we control. It's not to say we can't expand them. But we have to first put our people in the best position to benefit from being who we are. Not from trying to be someplace else. And I'll tell you, I know people will say, well, why don't you t- do, spend more time talking about missing and murdered indigenous women or, or the substance abuse or whatever else? I am talking about that. Because the reason we have such high levels of all those social ills, including domestic violence, child abuse, substance abuse, and missing and murdered indigenous women, one of the main contributing factors isn't just what the white man is, uh, is, is doing to us, it's that we aren't creating a better quality of life on our territories. When you, we have some of our own people trying to bust down the doors to leave our territories, and, 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 we have our, we, and, and women actually are placed at risk because they're merely trying to carve out a, a more meaningful existence than what, what our, our native territories stand to offer. Look, there's no reason that our... our uh, our young people can't um, spend some time in a city or spend some time at university or spend some time you know, traveling the world. But if we aren't going to offer them something to come home to, then we just lose them. We just lose them. And there should be nothing that is more clear and evident than what we've seen in the last six months with, with, with this COVID-19 and uh, and and what this has done in terms of <clears throat> separating people. We need to, we need to decolonize our minds. And, and I, the first thing we need to do is envision, imagine, and create the hope that our distinction and our sovereignty could really represent. That's what decolonization is. So the next person knocks on your door and tells you, asks you to raise your hand if you're going to vote or tries to hand you a voter registration form, tell them it's not our system. It's not ours. We have our own uh, ways of dealing with things on our territories. And, and if we don't, we still need to create them. Look, I want to thank you guys for listening. Uh, we will be, uh, I'm not sure if we, I guess we, we may be off the schedule in New York this, uh, this Thursday. So we'll, uh, we'll see you back here. Uh, thanks for listening. It's John Kane. This is Let's Talk Native. You know